We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, what's up? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are now on the other side of Help Out Y'all. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Um, good morning. Yeah. Good morning. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Good, good. good. It's good to I be am here. that guy. Yeah. yeah. I just keep coming off the heels of, a, of another wonderful sober Christmas. Yeah, my first with the, with the little guy. With the baby. Yeah, yeah, that happened fast. You got your first baby Christmas quick. There's a lot of first happening these days. Yeah, yeah. You're but doing good. great. You're doing great. I'm really proud of you as a as a father. I'm so grateful that your son has never had to see you drunk that you've been there. You know. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of crazy because uh, we we got a war story today from uh, from Leslie. Yeah. And uh, and and Leslie was great, great, wonderful war story. We got a really good topic from it. I can't wait to talk about it. But she does mention in her war story being drunk for her child's first Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of a, a moment for me to, to really and reflect on how grateful I you am. Can, you can feel the the pain of that for her oh, sure. today. You can feel a lot of that in her story in general, I yeah. think, which is, which is, you know, really... Uh, there's something, there's something really magical about, um, sharing that emotion with somebody. Yeah. I think, you know, it's not easy for them to come on and, and tell these stories always. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, when we get to hear these stories and listen to them and, and sort of feel those emotions alongside them, um, there's something, there's something, uh, about that that, you mm-hmm. know, really connects us. And yeah. so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent before we introduce our topic today, but you know, another thing she said in her war story was she kept talking about, you know, discovering, um, whether she was a real alcoholic right. and the so real alcoholic. we want to talk today about, um, quote unquote, the real alcoholic. Yeah, and that's something that you hear in the, in the rooms of recovery, in the, in the, in the halls of recovery, in the, halls know, the, of- the real alcoholic. And I don't think it's necessarily a comparison thing of, you know, when, when you first hear it, you think, well, wh- what does that mean? Like I can drink more than you like kind of thing. Like it's a, is that's it what a, it used to mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think necessarily it's that, you know, I think, one of the one of the things that makes sense to me is that her type of behavior that she talks about and, and what you're saying, I think that's very um, uh, common for the real alcoholic to be unpresent, hmm. be too busy drinking, un, unable to not. Yeah, I mean, stuff. you know, in, in my own story, I have many instances like that where um, I can point to those instances as confirmation that I am indeed the real yeah. alcoholic, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's sort of when we first get here, we go through a process of of determining, you know, if we are the real alcoholic because something that we see in Alcoholics Anonymous anyways um, through reading the big book is, you know, trying to decide, like, what what is the difference between, say, a heavy drinker and a real alcoholic? Mm-hmm. And, and it's important that we go through this process of figuring out 
you know, what, what exactly we are like, yeah. so that we know properly how to address it. And so that we, um, so that we get the, 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 the help that we need yeah. uh, according to whichever we might be. So, um, if I'm not, if I'm not fully convinced that I'm an alcoholic, then I'm probably not ready to surrender to some type of, some, some type of solution. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to continue and trying to find some way to manage, moderate, or continue the behavior that I'm in. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and as you say that, like I, I think about, you know, that passage in the book where it talks about, you know, these are the various methods we have tried to, to control our drinking, yeah. right? We tried sipping only brandy and we tried, you know, um, having only beer or never having in the house, taking a vacation, right? Yeah. Going on a retreat, you know, uh, only smoking weed. Um, that's something that I tried, uh, never drinking the hard stuff, drinking beer only, um, only having one, only drinking on weekends, never drinking at work. Um, fucking not, not drinking again tonight. You know, uh, if I ever get that bad that I'm going to quit quitting tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is like how many times, like, and I remember specifically when uh, Jill was on here from Sober Powered because she had a lot of moderation in her story, yeah, like she, attempts she to moderate. Um, and she, you know, ultimately, like the conclusion. Systematically went at it. Very, very scientific because yeah. she's, she's um, you know, she's, she's a scientist by nature yeah. um, and by profession. Yeah. And so hearing her like go through this process of like trying to moderate and, and then, you know, sort of concluding at the end, like, I don't think normal people have to do this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I, and we've heard uh-huh. that a couple of times. I remember Gentry's story, you know, like, um, uh, hearing her talk about how she, you know, would try really, really hard to moderate and Abby as well. Um, and, being so proud of themselves at the end of the day when they when they were able to drink the way that they you know set out to drink Drink like a lady exactly and then you know ultimately sort of coming to that conclusion that i don't think everybody has to do this like i don't think that this is something that everybody struggles with it doesn't seem as though anyways um and uh and so you know is it is it like an us versus them thing, right? Like, are we are we technically, uh, you know, we as alcoholics, um, are we only allow, alliancing ourselves with other alcoholics, um, and and uh, in that vein, like, is there some resentment towards people that can drink normally or or that might be heavy drinkers? I, um, so there's times, yeah. You know, especially early on or or especially when um, I was trying to control or grab a handle of and and use self-will, you you know, control or moderate on will alone, you know, without without an understanding of the disease concept that I have, understanding that that I truly am uh, uh, powerless. Once I put one into my body, it creates an obsession that I have no control over. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't recognize uh, for a really long time that that's what was happening. The allergy was, was essentially, you know, being put into effect when I put alcohol into my body. And that creates an obsession of the mind that makes it practically impossible for me to not continue in that behavior. Um, 
And so when, when I come to find out that some people have it and some people don't, and, and I, at the very core of me, want nothing more than to be able to enjoy a drink again. Right. Right. Um, and, and the joy of that's gone there. There is some jealousy and some resentment involved around that. And, and a lot of times I want to try to lash out and find something to blame. You know, mm. I want to blame something on, on this, you know, uh, my parents getting vaccinated as a kid you know the school i went to uh being bullied not being bullied enough and it's kind of the same thing with with uh you know finding that moderation all the different things that we try i try to find those things also in something to blame and ultimately and, and leslie gets down to it pretty well herself taking responsibility for my part and understanding that you know it's not my fault that i'm an alcoholic right. it's really not you know i i didn't I didn't uh, wake up and, and say, you know, I, I want the disease of alcoholism. In fact, it, it was something that I didn't want. What I what I wanted was what other people seem to have, which was a good time while drinking. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted to escape the way I felt about myself. And so, not being able to do that today, I have no resentment against it. Today, I, today, I'm very grateful that I can't. Uh, that I have no illusion that that will ever bring me any type of satisfaction in my life today. I'm really very, very grateful that I don't even have to attempt it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, and grateful as well that the obsession is is no longer there, right? Like in my case, you know, I know that. Um, that that yeah you know there was this huge part of me that was just obsessed with being able to do it successfully you <laughs> yeah. know and um and every attempt that was made just continued to show me more and more evidence that this is not something that i have control over and i think that for for me um one of the biggest illusions i can have is when i see other people who seem to do it successfully and have fun with it and for a split second you know i'll have these moments of of uh of jealousy where it's like oh man like uh, you know i i I wish i could have fun with it like i i I, you know i've got fomo a fear of missing out like oh like um look at these people they seem to be having a good time there's alcohol involved um i wish that i could you know do that um it's very very short-lived because uh i I never forget what happens to me, you know, when yeah, those when, last days of drinking were when that happens, those last years were, yeah. And it's no, I mean, it's no illusion. It's no illusion for me. Like I, I, I've been able to, uh, to break the spell. Um, and I think that that's what, that's sort of the level of acceptance that we have to get through in those early days is really taking a look and seeing what happens when we drink. Mm-hmm. Um, the consequences that exist, the actions that we take um, as a result of those consequences and the fact that we continue to consume when we have every reason not to. Right. And um, and that is made clear to us through those, you know, through those behaviors and those actions. And it's from that point that we can say, OK, it, it's not the same for me as it is for everybody else. Yeah. And so, you know, even when I see people enjoying it and having a good time with it, um, good for them. That's, yeah. that's not how it works for me. Right. Um, and, uh, and being okay with that because it takes a long time or it took in my case a, a long time to, to really accept that and to, and to let us sink in because we do, we fight that, right? We fight that like tooth and nail. Like I don't want to be an alcoholic. Well, years. Yeah. Years, like, years of, of, of attempts yeah. of drinking and quitting. 
starts and stops, starts and stops, starts and stops. And Years. unsuccessful moderator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm really grateful. Like, uh, I think that, I don't know, like, are you, let me just ask you this, like, um, since we're sort of talking about it, do you think a real alcoholic is somebody that drinks every day? Um, what, not necessarily, possibly. What are your parameters on a real alcoholic versus a heavy drinker? Um, I think, I think basically I have to look at my own experience and see what happens when I drink, not necessarily how much I drink mm -hmm. because once, once I take one, one drink, I change one fucking ounce of alcohol changes my outlook on the world. And, and, um, for me, it's so elusive and magical. Right. We've heard that the, mm -hmm. the magic of alcohol mm -hmm. that I pursue it into the, the devastation of everything in my life. Um, and I've proven that. And so I think for me, like the parameters, if, if I'm sitting down with a new guy and, and we're discussing, you know, do you think you're an alcoholic? And, and he says, yes. Then we go through kind of a series of questions like, you know, why do you think that you're an alcoholic? Um, one of them is, you know, when you take one, can you put it down and stop completely? Can you, can you take one drink and, and walk away and, and do it without thinking of that again? Because it seems like with one drink, we can, we can will ourselves into walking away to prove how we're well, not alcoholic. how well we are with, with our willpower. Right. However, for me, every time I've ever done that, I've, I've congratulated and patted myself on the back for two, right? And then once there's two in me, as soon as, as, soon as intoxication kicks in, so does uh, all irresponsibility to mm. life around me. Mm. And so whether it's one shot, two shots, three shots, that intoxication starts to kick in and I let go of all morality in my life and I never know when it's going to end, right? And so... Once, once the dream comes in, you know, for me, so do the drugs and the violence and the change of behavior and the lying and the sneaking and the letting go of everything worthwhile in life. And so we sit down and we go, what, what happens when you take one shot? Do you take another? Do you obsess about it? Does it consume your life? Um, do you get arrested? Oftentimes, have you ever been arrested not drinking? Um, how much um, does the alcohol and drugs have an effect on your on your criminal behavior, on your social behavior? What happens? Um, do you, do you feel guilty for not being at places because you're drunk? Uh, do you show up to work hungover more often than not? Um, and and by no means are those absolute. Uh, I, is that a you know are not by no means are those like absolutes that you're an alcoholic right because we know that some people can drink like that and given the sufficient amount of, of motivation they can quit completely even with that in their lives right they can put it down and, and go away some people can drink like that for a, for a period of time and have a child and be done they're like I just quit, mm -hmm. you know, and, and those, those would be the people we consider hard drinkers or, or they find a reason, a medical reason, and, and it scares them enough that they quit. Um, for me, it seems to be um, physical, 
emotional, mental, and spiritual in the way that it affects me. And everything starts to suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My life becomes consumed by the chemical. Mm-hmm. Completely consumed. And if I can relate, if you, if you can relate with that, then perhaps you're an alcoholic. Like, um, you know, if that's, if that's the main focus of your life and you're living your life around getting that drink. Right. Where it's like, you know, we're constantly, I think an, a, a real alcoholic, if you're alcoholic, like I'm alcoholic, then, um, then you are constantly plotting, scheming or consuming alcohol. Like even if you don't have it, you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're planning on how to get it. You're planning a, a you know, a way of, uh, of, of managing it. You know, and, and it can be this idea that I'm just going to have one. I feel like in my case, there was so many instances where I would be, I would think about, you know, oh man, I can't wait to have a beer when I get off work. I never was like, oh man, I can't wait to have a fucking case of beer and half a bottle when I get off of work. You know, there were moments where it was like, oh, I'm going to get shit faced. But I feel like my drinking was the same no matter what. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm consuming the same amount and usually getting the same amount of shit faced. It just, you know, like the timing behind it might change. Like I might get there faster when I have the intention of, you know, going out and getting shit faced or at. As we hear in uh, Leslie's story when she's drinking at people, right? Yeah. But like ultimately, um, I'm going to get drunk either way. Right. Like it just, the, the motive behind it is, is completely different. And, uh, and for me, like I would always obsess over just the one drink. I'm planning on how to get it. I'm, you know, like, when's it going to happen? Um, and how am I going to get it? Who's going to be there? Like, who do I have to hide it from? (laughs) Who can know about it? Um, and, and, and then, you know, once it's consumed, it's off to the races. Planning my life around it. And then once we're drunk, none of it matters anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, yeah, well, and then didn't matter anymore. Then you know, like we're loosey goosey, and yeah, everything else comes into play, and we start compromising our morals. We cross those lines and those boundaries that we said we would never cross, and uh, and you know, like it, 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 all bets are off. Yeah, again, right, again, again. We slam our hand on the bar and ask, "How did we get here? Again? How did we get here again?" Yeah. And it's a it, it was a long process, you know. We've I've heard the argument and the question over and over again: Were you born an alcoholic? Is alcoholism something you become? Is it acquired? Um, there doesn't seem to be any solid answer on that, mm-hmm. you know. because I, I don't know. I I wanted to escape who I was as soon as I had an identity, right? As soon as as soon as I started going against things that were expected of me. Um, you know, I was talking with, with Avery about, you know, Chris, Chris, the Christmas season has historically been very tr- traumatic for me, whether it was, you know, finding out that Santa Claus didn't exist right. or yeah. finding out that my ex-wife was sleeping with somebody in the house on Christmas day or, um, learning that, um, you know, that I'm a bad kid because I opened up the presents and hit him. I was talking to Avery about that. Uh, something that I did when I was a child was, you know, we'd, there'd be presents under the tree and I would take those presents, whether they were mine or not, and I would open them up and then I would hide the contents of those presents. 
And then when I was asked whether or not I took the contents of those presents, I lied about it. And it never felt good. Right. right. I wanted to escape the way that I felt about myself. And so that one particular year that I did it, and I can kind of remember what the what the dish looked like. And I, I, it was one of my mom's gifts. She got it from my aunt. She, uh, I took it out, and I was like, this thing sucks. I don't even know what I'm going to do with this. So <laughs> stuffed it in this hole in my closet behind the wall, and, and then one thing led to another. Eventually, they found out. You know, I told them where it was at, and when they opened up the wall, it wasn't just that. It was some stuff that I had stolen from church and, like, some other shit, you know. Like, I stole this uh, 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 film. You remember the film, the... Uh, like the actual, negatives, like, yeah. the negatives for, mm-hmm. for film, they were in those plastic containers that your dad would put his weed in. Well, probably not your dad, but yeah, you know, my dad would put his weed <laughs> in, you know. Uh, so I stole some of them from church one time, and and I remember like understanding and getting told that that's a different level of thievery, right? That there's a there's a greater punishment because you're stealing from church because now I'm stealing from God, Copy. right? And, okay. and, and so. Now I feel even worse about myself. So when I finally found the relief that came from that first drink, the magic that came from relieving myself from my opinion of myself, uh, I don't necessarily know that I became alcoholic that alcoholic at that point, mm-hmm. but it definitely became to the point where all I did was try to relive that relief that I once felt. Mm-hmm. And it usually uh, came at the cost of oblivion. Right. It was never that relief anymore. It was oblivion after that. Oh, yeah. I never, never really. And and regardless of of what would happen, arrest, fights, uh, hangovers, being sick, throwing up, um, you know, health stuff, no matter what it was, I recreated that oblivion over and over again, despite my best efforts not to. Because once I take a drink the game is over for me mm-hmm. you know my alcoholism doesn't live in the last drink it lives in the first drink and so um understanding that you know i can look at my behavior and, and other people can do this too they can look at their behavior throughout the process of their life and see you know how many times did i in unintentionally get drunk how many mm-hmm. times did i stop at the bar for a beer right and right. stay there all night um how many times did I miss a family event because I was either too drunk to remember or too embarrassed to go, you know, because all those things play a part in that, right? So if I choose alcohol over what is quote unquote more meaningful or purposeful or important, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not hard to, now that you're a father, look at your son and say, I know that this child is more important than me and what I want right now. Right, right. However, when it comes to drinking alcohol and consuming that against our own will because of the disease of alcoholism, you know, it's 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 easy to see that there's probably a problem there. Yeah, like <laughs> if, the minute that the minute that uh, that I'm able to, well, the minute that I find myself basically you know, going against what I know to be true and good. Like I, like in your, in your example, you know, looking at this child, um, and seeing, obviously this is where my attention needs to be. This is where my focus needs to be. And then, you know, drinking despite that again, is a clear example of evidence that I am probably an alcoholic, Uh you know? Um, and 
for me, like it's, it's interesting because we talk about, you know, what is it that makes us uh, an alcoholic? Is it genetic? Is it physical? Is it, you know, emotional or our environment or, or, or whatever the case is. And, and I, you know, I think it's all those things. I think, you know, it's, 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 um, yeah, a combination of everything, you know, like I do, I, I personally do think that there is something genetic, you know, um, in my case, like there isn't really any alcoholism in my family, like alcoholism specifically, but I don't know that there's, um, not, uh, addictive behavior, you know, everybody right. in my family is overweight. Um, and I think that, uh, that, you know, a, a lot of that disease manifests itself in food, you know, mm-hmm. but I think that some of that actually, you know, um, comes back to the way that we were raised as well. Like, you know, I know in your case, you know, your mom showed love with food. Sure. And, and I think that, you know, there's some of that that takes place in my family as well. So I think that, you know, it's a combination of thing in my case, like it wasn't really alcohol that, that created that oblivion for me. Like in my case, um, it was, uh, Oxycontin, you know, I took an Oxycontin and for me, I like in, in thinking about it now, I can, I can honestly say that I, you know, before I took that Oxycontin, I drank, um, I tried cocaine, I had tried ecstasy, um, I smoked paw on the reg, um, but I tried that Oxycontin and it flipped something in me, right? Like it was a switch in me. It, it activated something that was already existing inside of me. And once it was flipped, there was no unflipping it. And from that point forward, everything was an issue. So now the drinking, all the drugs, everything, everything is a problem. Um, and so for me, it's like, I think that there is something inside, you know, um, that, that can get activated, um, through whichever chemical we happen to land on. Um, I call myself alcoholic because once that flipped had, once that switch had been flipped, alcohol was my go-to. It was easy. It was convenient. Like, um, it was the one thing that I knew would work. Um, and, and it always did. Right. Um, it it allowed me to settle into myself. It allowed me to be okay with who I was. And then it started having massive consequences and I kept drinking despite that. And then I wanted to stop and I couldn't. Um, and these are all telltale signs of being a real alcoholic. The good news is, um, and I think that it, this is why we're talking about it is that if you are a real alcoholic, if you're an alcoholic, like I'm an alcoholic, like you're an alcoholic, um, there is hope, right? Yeah. There is a solution. Um, and I think that that's why we go through the process of determining whether we're an alcoholic is to get to that next, then what, Yeah. you know, to get to the next part of that story. Right. If I'm a real alcoholic, if I'm, um, you know, exactly as it's laid out and defined rigidly before me, if there's a yes to that answer, um, or to that question, then there is an answer. There is a solution and there, there is hope. And that's why, um, it's worth discussing because that's all we really want to do here, right? Is let people know that, dude, if you're like me and you feel this way and you did the things that I did, 
this is probably your problem. Yeah. But this is this is probably your solution <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, you might be an alcoholic. Right. If. Yeah. Let's let's. Can you spit a couple of those out? What? Jeff Foxworthy, me a couple of, uh, you might be an alcoholic. Well, you, you might be an alcoholic if you sleep with your brother's girlfriend more than your own. <laughs> you, might. you might be an alcoholic if you rush home on a 20 minute lunch break to pound two beers and snort yeah. some pills. You might be an alcoholic if uh, the liquor store is closing and you drive intoxicated regardless of, of the consequences to make sure you have enough for Sunday in Utah. Oh, yeah, you might be an alcoholic if you're willing to travel out of state on Sunday <laughs> to get alcohol. You might be an alcoholic if you're willing to lie to your entire family about drinking. Yeah, you might be an alcoholic if you show up to Thanksgiving dinner plastered and blame it on depression. <laughs> blame it on your mom. <laughs> it's because of the way you raised me. Yeah. It's your fault that I'm like this. Oh, dude. Like it. Uh, we laugh now, but it was painful. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, that's what I was just going to say. It was like there, you know, there's so many instances that I can look at and laugh at now. And I mean, I can laugh at these moments with my family as well, you know, but, yeah. um, but ultimately I'm just so grateful. I don't have to live life and, that way. And, and it really is. I'm glad that you said that, that we can laugh with our family as well, because I can go back and I can talk to my dad today and we can bring up stories of, of when I was fucked up and, mm -hmm. and what it was like for him in those situations. And he was just like, Oh fuck. I hope God takes care of this kid. Cause oh. he is, is fuck, you know? And, and it, it, we do, you know, we're loved and, and, we don't understand that. I mean, one of the things that, and, and anybody that's listening can go through and, and Google these things. I Googled them this morning. You know, uh, why is alcoholism considered a disease? You mm -hmm. know, there's a reason for that. Why is alcohol, what, what, um, what, what is, is alcoholism chronic? Um, you know, Google these questions and you can get scientific answers behind it. But um, essentially, you know, in, in the rooms of AA, the, one of the first things that we learn is that the alcoholic essentially drinks alcohol because he loves the uh, effect produced by alcohol. Right. Mm. Right. Um, for a lot of us, like myself included, uh, I loved the effect it seemed to produce on other people before I loved the effect that it produced on me because it took me a minute to be able to handle my booze, right? Like if, when I first oh, yeah, started you had to try it, when yeah, I first started drinking, it took me a little while to be able to handle it. I, I generally got sick. I got the spins. It wasn't very fun, but I wanted what you had so badly that I was willing to do whatever it took. And it's the same thing on the other side of that, right? When I came in completely battered and broken because I had crossed that line and got what I wanted, I got that feeling that you seem to have mm -hmm. from the drugs and alcohol. I ended up having a great time for, for, you know, a few years. It was, it was really fun. Even going to jail was fun for me. Like that was all part of the rebellion. You know, the fights were fun. Um, you know, when, when that stuff was invited, but when I got here this time, um, absolutely hopeless that I would ever be able to get sober because the obsession was so great that I would drink regardless. I would use no matter what. Um, and you guys were happy without it, mm -hmm. right? The mm -hmm. people that I was hanging out, I wanted what you had. 
and I had to become willing to do whatever it was going to take for me to get that. Um, you know, as you know, I, I recently crossed 10 years sober, which is Hell fucking, yeah. which is fucking huge, Hell yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And when I got my chip, I, I got my chip up at this place called Valley Camp and, and you were there. And one of the things that I was thinking about and I shared with the new guys was, you know, how many cravings did I go through yeah. to get 10 years sober, right? Thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of moments mm -hmm. where a drink sounded like a good idea. And somehow, with the help of other people in sobriety, you know, a program that's laid out before us that gets us to know ourselves, wh whatever that is, with a community, you know, um, these things that, that we talk about that, that help provide long-term sobriety, um, some type of willingness to believe in something greater than ourselves, um, we get through those cravings over and over and over again, and it becomes a lifestyle worth living. And like, I don't know, man, if I, if I wasn't able to, to get to a point where I was able to kind of dial in the fact that I'm different, right? I don't go to a bar for a drink and leave after a drink. Mm -hmm. I never have, I never will. I don't go and get high for a weekend I never have I never will I have to come to those terms um, you know having the, the ability to be honest with the way that this shit affects me has put me in a position where I'm able to, to live a fairly happy life on this side of the table and not desire to drink and when it does come up you know we recoil just like it says you know I, I'm good mm -hmm. I don't want what it looks like you have because I will get what I know I will get type thing. Right. So, yeah, because it's always, it's always the same. It's always, it's always there waiting for us. And I think that, um, it really is just such a, a defining thing for me. Like when, when I was finally surrendered enough to, um, to accept the fact that I know shit. I, I don't know anything. Right. Like I, I had to ask, I had had my ass kicked enough times and the pain had been so great. And, um, and it had been made clear to me that, um, that every time I tried to do this my way and by this, I mean, either use, um, drink or quit using or drinking, right? Like every time I tried to do either one of those my way, I was completely unsuccessful right. and I failed miserably at it. Um, and, and not only that, but, um, the ideas and the notions I had surrounding those things were all wrong. Yeah. Like the, the ideas that I had that I wasn't an alcoholic because I didn't look like yeah. what, what you commonly yeah. associate to an alcoholic, um, or I wasn't a drug addict because I didn't fit that, that preconceived notion I had. Yeah. You didn't have a leather um, jacket, a mohawk. You yeah. Were, you weren't under the bridge. I wasn't under the bridge. Yeah. I didn't drink from a paper sack. Like, you know, like I didn't have all that. And so, um, when, when I was clear or when it was made clear to me that, um, I am, I am an alcoholic, a real alcoholic, despite not fitting those molds. It was, the, the, it was a starting point. Like it was the beginning of my journey yeah. and, and it really like 
for the longest time, it was the only thing I knew. I, I decided to just forget every sort of preconceived notion I had. I decided that I didn't know shit about anything and that the only thing I knew because the evidence was there in front of me over and over again was that I was a real alcoholic and that I had been and seen people that had been in my same shoes who were happy and they didn't drink. And that was something that, that seemed so impossible to me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, with that, there was hope, hope. And I was able to build on that. Um, and, uh, and, and I still see that hope today, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's amazing when we see people come into the rooms, um, or people starting their recovery journey, however, um, whatever that looks like and just see, um, really what can happen once we put that down and begin um and begin sort of learning how to live life without it yeah learning how to live life without it and why we live so long with it right yeah looking at that stuff that's important too because you know knowing our past uh really helps us to avoid recreating it Mm -hmm. it really does you know And, and man I don't know. Every every good thing that I have in my life today is because I'm an alcoholic. It, it really is, which sounds weird. It might sound weird to some people, but it's not because I'm an alcoholic that's drunk. It's because I'm an alcoholic in sobriety, which is which is two completely different lifestyles, 100% complete different lifestyles, and a willingness to grow along spiritual lines regardless of what that looks like for the individual. For me, it looks like something a little different than you but every every good thing that i have um is because i i have something to compare it to and for that i'm grateful me too yeah i'm grateful you're here i'm grateful you're here i'm grateful you're a dad me too <laughs> yeah and that's not something i don't i don't think i would have if, if i hadn't no. had to go down this no. road um and, um, and it's been a, it's been a crazy journey and, and, and something that I wouldn't trade for the world. Like, what do you, what are your thoughts, Willie, when we talk about like looking at the past and, and, um, and seeing some of those reasons why we might have been drinking? What do you think about the notion that people say, well, the reason you drink is because you're alcoholic. I, I think there's, I, I don't, the reason that I drink the way that I drink is because I'm alcoholic. Mm-hmm. The reason that I drink is because I wanted what it seemed to do for you. I wanted to change me. I wanted to be you. Right? I didn't like me. I didn't know anything about me except right. for that it was bad. Something wrong with me. But, you know, the reason, you know, me drinking doesn't have anything or anybody, I don't think, you drinking doesn't have anything to do with being an alcoholic or not. But the way that you drink has everything to do with you being an alcoholic or not, I would say. Yeah, cool. I actually just really wanted to sort of define that because sometimes I get lost when people say, well, the reason you drink the way you do is because you're a fucking alcoholic, you know, um, which is true. But I think that it's important to just to to add that distinction. It's not always um, why I'm drinking but it's definitely in the way that I drink yeah. that makes me alcoholic. So, um, great, man. Uh, 
our war story today again yeah. um, is from from Leslie. Um, <laughs> I, I would say is a real alcoholic. Absolutely. And she inspired this topic today. And it was so cool to hear her story um, and see how far she's come. She's got you know, six and a half years now. Um, she's been through quite a bit. Yeah. Um, she put herself through some shit. And it took her a long time to reach that conclusion, yeah. I think. Um, so yeah, let's let's uh, let's ever, let everybody have a listen here. Um, this is uh, Leslie's war story. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of hell. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what you're poisoning. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your bean with Brainwashed. And without further ado, here is this week's war story. My name is Leslie, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is May 18th, 2015. I am um, extremely, extremely grateful um, for the journey that I have been on these past six and a half years. Um, to uh, go over my war story is, let's go back to the beginning, like most of us. Um, I can remember like the first time that I had like a taste of alcohol or a sip of alcohol. Um, I was younger, um, like about six or seven. I would get like the little itty bitty ounce of like the Chianti or have like the little Sambuca glass of wine at like Easter or Christmas fitting in with my family just so I had that swig of wine and I chugged back can I have another kind of thing? And, um, or sipping that uh, beer and the first sip out of that cracked beer that dad makes you go and get, like, I remember that. And, um, it was a little different. I wanted more and I knew that, but my alcoholism didn't really start to take effect until later on. But my ism was in full force when I was, 10 years old and forward in junior high and high school, I could never fit in. I was always on the outskirts. I wanted to be one of the popular kids. And I was a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. And I couldn't, it didn't matter. Like I stuck out like a sore thumb because of um, haircut. Oh, I had a horrible haircut. Uh, one time and I just, it, I can never feel a part of, of wanting to be. And I'm like, I want what they have. Why don't I have it? And my childhood was a great childhood growing up, loving parents. I have a sibling and, you know, the typical sibling aspect. Um, I'm the oldest and there tends to be like rivalry and, so be it. But my path went different. Uh, when I hit the teenage years, I was a rebel without a cause. Like my parents tried to keep me in line, 
like I had good grades until I started being lazy and you know the teacher saying you can do it and all you have to do is apply yourself and anything and so I got I got those encouragements like some and I didn't want to I didn't want to do school I just wanted out like get me out of those four walls. And my parents gave me a very, very short leash. They really controlled like what I wanted to do. And I'm like, nope, I'm doing what I'm going to do. And basically gave them the middle finger. From 16, I, you know, they gave me a set of rules. I never listened to them. I didn't come home when curfew was told or like I had snuck out many of times I had snuck out ran away because they didn't let me do something but my ism was growing and I was just becoming uncomfortable in my skin and I looked for a way out and when I was 19 I had started drinking around then like started drinking 18 19 and it was like good I had good times I had bad times but 19 is really when I really started my drinking and I met him at 19 and I thought he's my prince charming. He's going to sweep me off my feet and out of this hellhole. And we got married and some of the worst years yet started there there for me. Um, he was in the armed forces and it was going great. Everything was great. And we would be the party house because we lift off base. So people would come to our house. I make dinner. We have poker games on Friday and Saturday nights. And I learned how to drink with them. I drank them underneath the table by the time I was 20. And um, he didn't like that. And he showed me how he didn't like it. And he got very abusive very quickly. And... My 21st birthday was in a haze. I went drinking with one of my girlfriends. Don't remember anything. Called him up and come get me. And he was pissed. And and it just took off running. My drinking started there. Like really progressed to a point. But on that 21st birthday weekend, ended up pregnant with my daughter. And she was a saving grace and very black hole of that time because after my daughter was born, the word like it got dark. He abused me every which way that he could, mentally, physically, emotionally. And it was hard for me, but she was my little guiding light. She, and she gave me enough courage to leave him. <sighs> but I still didn't feel right. I still had a void inside of me. And I, I moved back home and I was like, all right, what do I do now? I'm 22, I have a kid, no job, no education all right, let's get a job as a bartender. And there I am off running again with my drinking. And that's the beginning of the end for me. 
I was 22, started bartending and I built some babysitters with my parents. So I would leave my daughter at my parents' house just days on end. Like I'd come in two o'clock in the morning after a shift, change, go back out, come back home for a shift, shift change, like get ready and go back out. And meanwhile, I'm drinking before work, drinking on the job, drinking after and didn't matter. Like I would go on binges and my daughter's first Christmas, so it's Christmas time right now. Um, I went out with a couple of buddies and I'm getting blown up by my dad. Where are you? Christmas is tomorrow. You got to be here before the sun comes up so you can do the whole Santa thing. I come stumbling and he meets me outside in the driveway and I'm drunk, falling out of the truck. And I'm like, I'm here, you know? And he's all like, you better sober the hell up before you get inside. And I'm like, I can't do that. I'm still drunk. And that was the worst Christmas. My daughter's first Christmas should have been like bubbly and exciting, but I'm there nursing a hangover, didn't want to talk, didn't want to do anything. And I missed it. I missed a lot. But my drinking just kept getting worse and I kept going deeper and deeper. And I kept changing jobs because of bartending. It didn't matter where I was. I still found those lower companions and I did whatever I needed to do to get that next drink. For me, I had no self-worth because he beat it out of me. He kept telling me, I'm no good. I will never amount to anything. And I never felt a part of, and it just kept going over and over and over. I'm never good enough. I'm not going to be anybody. Why should I even value myself? And my drinking just, my drinking shoved it down far enough where I just felt numb. And I had, um, one instance where I was not a parent and I should have been is my daughter was three. It was my 25th birthday and my best friend and her husband and I went to a rock show and we ended up getting somehow we ended up getting backstage and we ended up partying with the headlining tour oh, with the headlining band. And I took a liking to the lead singer. And we were drinking, and it's all like, all right, two o'clock rolls around. He's all like, oh, we're getting on the bus. Want to go? And I'm like, sure, okay. I walked on a bus. Two weeks later, I fly home. And where's my child? My child is either with my parents. Thankfully, like, my best friend went and picked her up a couple of days before I came home. But... Me and that lead singer, we ended up being known as Sid and Nancy 2.0 because of how bad we were partying. For me, I'm a true alcoholic. Alcohol is my substance. That's what made me whole. That's what filled the void. That's what stopped the demons in my head from talking. Um, I did outside. I, I did outside issues a couple of times, but 
it was only to prolong my drinking. It was only to extend it. And I could take, I, I was able to take it or leave it on that, but it was the drinking that I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from. And <laughs> the 25th year, my 25th year was one hell of a year. I did that, disappeared for two weeks with my, um, without my kid. Then I got my DUI thinking that was my bottom. Okay, I'm not going to do this. And it was a stupid DUI because I was following a friend after drinking all night on Halloween, one of the biggest nights that cops in my area tend to look for, drunk drivers. And the him that I was seeing at the time, he had just gotten his two weeks earlier and we were fighting and he didn't show up for Halloween. So I drank at him. My drinking progressed to this. I was drinking at people, whether you've hurt me, whether you broke your promises, I didn't like you. So I'm drinking and it didn't matter. I had every excuse in the book just to drink, just to be numb. And Halloween, uh, goodness gracious, I'm gonna say it's like, a couple of years, uh, nine years ago, I got my DUI and I called my dad and I'm like, I'm in jail. I don't want to drink anymore. And he's all like, all right, I'll pick you up in the morning. I'm sitting there and I'm shivering the entire night. It was cold. And I'm like, how the fuck did I get myself into this mess? I did not see how bad my drinking was. Granted, my parents were like, hey, maybe you should take a, take a step back from drinking. And I'm like, no, I'm 25. I'm going to do what I want. And when I got out, I told my dad, like, I don't want to do this anymore. He's all like, all right, what do you want to do? And I was like, I guess I won't drink. Looking back now, I wasn't ready. I had my yes. So yeah, I hit my bottom, but you know what? My bottom had that basement. I fell even further. So the three years I hid my drinking. I wasn't allowed, like, I was living at home at the time with my parents and they allowed me to use their car. Well, they told me after my DUI, don't drive drunk. Cool, uh-huh. Oh, I drove drunk. I drove drunker than I ever could. You know, like I was always three sheets to the wind and my parents never knew or they knew and they never let on. And I'm, it just kept getting worse. I was losing jobs. And then I found this one job and I was like, all right, I can hold it together. I had a couple of stints of like a couple of weeks couple months like not doing as much and then picking up back where I left off and I was working at this one major restaurant and our general manager he's a friend of Bill W's and he's all like hey he'd come come up to me and he's all like how was last night and I'm like it's fine why not knowing he can smell the whiskey on me, not knowing he knows my rock star is not just rock star. 
he knows that I'm slurring my words to my regulars. And he asked me how I'm doing. How's that whiskey feeling for me? And I'm like, ugh. Little did I know that little seed was planted, but I'd been there for a few years. And this, so it brings me back to the day that it happened. Saturday night, typical night. Closed down that restaurant because we were, I was a closer. So it closed down the restaurant, was out of there by 1.30. And our bars don't close until two. So we went drink at two. We knew a couple of bartenders. So they let us drink a little bit after hours. Then we hit up a couple of buddies that had their own pad and we went and drank there. We were, we're all bartenders, so we each take turns mixing shots, mixing whatever we want. My go-to drink was a bottle of Jack. And at that time point in time, I was finishing an 18-pack of beer and a bottle of Jack a day. Because I can get, before I go to work, I get loaded. At work, I take my 30-minute lunch, head down to local bar, drink a few, head back, customers buy shots, whatever, and then go out and drink. And it's on repeat every day at this point. My daughter, I call my parents. Like, I'm at home on my day off. I'm at home with my kid. My mom, I'm like, nope, come take her, please. I don't want to do this. I'm going to go drink. I have other things to do. I did not want a parent. I was not a parent for my daughter. She was six at this point. So back to that Saturday night. We're drinking, we're all taking turns, making everybody shots and everything. I wake up coming to, because apparently at that point, I love to black out. And I black out in the most randomest places. And apparently one of my favorite places is the closet. I love the closet, apparently. Just a perfect little room and have my little bottles in the corner, drinking by myself. But I hid my alcohol badly. And I got to the point where I was hiding my alcohol. My alcohol was in my car, in my room. I wear a lot of cowboy boots. So I had bottles in each pair. I had bottles underneath the back, back bench seat of that Silverado that I had. Bottles in the freaking uh, middle console. I had them everywhere just so I have them. And I don't care if it was hot whiskey because the summer's out here getting really, really hot. And it's hot, warm whiskey, but you know what? It cooled me down because it shut everything off. So that, that morning I came to and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I in here? I get up and I'm like, oh, I gotta go to work. So... I go home, get ready for work, stop by the local gas station, pick up a th three pack of tall cans, crack one open, drive to work. And my work's not that far from my house, it's maybe 10 minutes. And I walk into work, and for whatever reason that day, I told my manager, I can't do this, I'm still drunk, I need to go home. And they're like, okay, we'll send you home, but there might be some disciplinary actions. 
due to that. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it as is. I go home and my dad's like, aren't you supposed to go to work? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm too drunk. And kind of looked at him like, yeah. And he's all like, you're driving my drunk in my truck drunk again. And I was like, I've been doing it and I don't know why. And I don't want to keep doing this anymore. And I was starting to notice that I was having health issues and I was, the drinking was finally taking a toll on my body and my mind. And I was just insane. But I finally said to myself, I was honest about, I can't do this anymore. And I told my best friend at that time that I needed to go to get help because I needed to get sober. And at that point, her then boyfriend was also trying to get sober. So we went into this one program and they had a, it's an all inclusive and I couldn't feel anything. I don't know if I wasn't ready or if I just didn't fit in that feeling of fitting in again was rising up and I didn't have an al an ounce of alcohol because I am two days sober at this time and I am white knuckling it. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm looking around the room and I'm like, I want to run. But I stayed. And then I went home and I told my dad, I think I'm ready for AA. And then the next day, which was a Wednesday, that was my first AA meeting that I walked into. I felt home. I was able to take that deep breath. Finally, I'm like, oh. And when that meeting started and they asked for newcomers, I shakenly raised my hand and bawled my eyes out saying, my name is Leslie and I'm an alcoholic and I need help. And the women that came up to me and the people that I've met through AA are amazing. And from that point on, that's where I started my journey in this program. And I, my first sponsor, she was amazing. And when we were going through the steps, the third step kind of hung me up because I don't have a God. I had that God that I would pray to when I was out there drinking and didn't want to end up pregnant again or needed to stop drinking, whatever I was praying to, like, get me out of this situation again. That's the God I prayed to. And then I also was mad at him because of the shit that I went through with my ex-husband beating me close to death and stuff and having the stupid exes, you know, but at that point, I didn't know my part in things. So I was not on letting level playing field with my higher power at that moment. And I am completely grateful for her because she's all like, I have a God. And what is enough is you believe that I believe and we're good. And for the longest time, I've relied on that. 
and uh, it got me through. I believed that she believed. And I was noticing little things just kind of happening here and there throughout my sobriety. Two years into this thing, I had some rocky points. Uh, the biggest one was my dad having a heart attack. And he's been my biggest supporter through this entire journey that I have had. And to see him in a hospital bed, I was scared. And I hit my knees and, and prayed, God, don't take him away. And he didn't. And I'm like, I will do anything and everything to make it right with my higher power. And I was struggling. Like the last few years, I've been struggling with my higher power just because you grow within this um, program. You grow in your sobriety. It takes like it says in the promises, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. For me, my spiritual journey has been slow, but you know what? I get into so much pain and so much inner turmoil. That's when I learned that I am growing because through me, I can burn everything down and it's smoldering in ashes and I can rise above it like, like a phoenix. And I have, and I've, uh, I've met so many great people throughout my journey of um, sobriety with the last few years, I can, I'll end on this. The last few years I have gone through some growing pains, but I've had these ladies in my life. They have been my trudging buddies, my, my girlfriends, but they become more like family. They became more like sisters to me, someone that I needed, not knowing that I was going to need them the last few years. And I am seeing that in my family, I'm not the only one that has an ism and I have to treat my sibling knowing that they're in their out and their active disease. And it's not me. I've kept my side of the street clean and mended those fences with my parents because I love them to death, but I was able to become a really good alcoholic because I was never really told no let's get going. It was more like, are you sure? Like, I love them, but there's still that, they were still enablers. And it's going to show for my sibling and their disease. So I can see that I became a real alcoholic because I did it. And um, my daughter, who is going to be 13, she has seen me grow up in this program. 
and she has seen me become a mom because I would now those broken promises that I told her when she was younger, like, oh, hun, we'll go to the movies on Saturday. Well, I wake up Saturday hungover, not going anywhere. I can tell her we're going to the movies. Let's go to the movies. And she knows that her promises aren't broken anymore. I've signed up every year, <laughs> every soccer season. As a living amends to her, I'm her team mom. No matter what team, I'm her team mom because I need to show up for her. And the way that I was going when I was out there, she wouldn't have a mom. She's already down a parent. She would have been down too. But I am extremely, extremely grateful for what I've gained in these rooms. I've been able to go back to school. I just graduated back in July with my bachelor's and I'm continuing on with my master's in a career field I didn't think I was going to be excited about. And I had changed it, but I absolutely love it. And I'm just started a month ago with a job in the career I want. And I'm utterly grateful. I call my, girl, my girlfriend who's in the program and I'm like, dude, can you believe this? Some, it's, it's all falling together. It's all falling and falling together. And I can't be more ecstatic about it. I've, I've just been completely immersed in this program. And I con I'm in constant contact with my sponsor. I've done my steps. I'm, have family that have started as trudging buddies that became family because my family has has removed themselves or I should say I've removed myself because I was that black sheep I didn't know why I was that black sheep when I was out there I was that black sheep because I was drinking but now I'm that black sheep because I put boundaries on that toxic that toxic relationship that was building for years and years and years. And I finally said, no, no more. And I'm getting pushback from the fa my family due to those boundaries that I set. And I am not because I want to break those generational curses that were there. And I want to be able to give my daughter a fighting chance so she doesn't have to go through this. And um, so the people that I met in this room, these rooms, they're more my family than my actual family are now. And I wouldn't have made it the last two years without them because there were times where I've gotten deep and dark where I'm like, fuck it. A bottle of Jack sounds really good right now. But then I look at her, I look at my daughter once again, and she is my saving grace. And I'm like, I'm doing this for me so I can be there for her. And that's all I got. Thank you. I got to do this for me so that I can be there for her. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it makes so much sense, right? Like, like, yes, I'm doing it for me, but also. Well, because I think that there's uh, there's, you know, 
a lot of um, a chatter about whether you're doing this for yourself or whether you do this for your kids. Yeah. And I think that it's important that when we get sober and we recover that we are doing it for ourselves. But that doesn't but, mean that the world around us doesn't yeah. benefit, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and we're doing it for them because we don't want to be gone anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to miss Christmases like she was talking about. You know, thank you for your story. Yeah, thank it was you great. So much. Thank you. It was wonderful to get to talk to you. Yeah, you know, it's it's, uh, and I wonder where she would fall on on on, on the genetic, physical, uh, environment uh, sort of conversation because you know she had these uh these parents growing up but she always kept her under the thumb yeah but she and then she had this rebellious nature yeah right yeah anything you identify with that a little bit yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i mean my parents were pretty much done with kids by the time i came around but not totally but i i wasn't highly restricted but obviously they tried to to keep me in check somewhat Mm -hmm. um but there was alcoholism and, and drugs in my house, right? So well, I could go to the fridge and take a beer, like yeah. uh, that that kind of stuff, you know. But by the time I was sixteen, also, like it was off to the races, yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't coming home at curfew anymore, type mm-hmm. thing. There was a, there was that rebellion again, right? And I love that that she had such a great support from her dad and and. Um, you know, was able to, to like come around to that, but not without putting him through a little bit of hell. Right. Like. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and you know, she had this abusive relationship. Um, it sounds like it was highly centered around, um, drinking, mm-hmm. um, in the party house and, uh, yeah. and, and then I she loved was, that house. <laughs> oh, I lived in that house. Yeah. I loved that know? house, that, um, that party house. But again, like, you know, um, I, I know now that, that there's some of those stories that were in my circle, uh, I was kind of oblivious to that sort of stuff right. a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, I remember, I remember specifically if a friend and his girlfriend and finding out later that he was physically abusive to her and it was just like, really? Wow. You know, like, mm-hmm. like I never saw that cause it was always behind closed doors. Right. It was always right. real. Obviously he wasn't going to do that in front of anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, she doesn't get into a whole lot of detail, but we don't need a whole lot of detail. Oh, right. We know, we know the outcome of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we, we medicate because of that stuff. Right. And she talked about how like she, he took all, all the, like she didn't have any self-esteem or anything left because he took all that. Yeah. He, he made sure to, to keep her under his yeah. thumb until her daughter was born, which, uh, it sounds like an amazing uh, saving grace like so many times that that love that we have regardless of our alcoholism even though we're living in the disease there's still that little spark of we recognize it for what it is yeah, right it's a like, true miracle yeah mm-hmm. we're like fuck i gotta change some shit yeah and that fuck. was there for her for sure she had that for you know for a moment <laughs> and then um like so many of us you know the disease creeps in and and she had this job as a bartender and, and was able to rely on her parents maybe a little too much, which is what she, mm-hmm. she gets into a little bit later. And, um, and, and so she was, you know, kind of living, living a, a couple of different lives, you know, living she's partying and, loca. exactly. And, and, uh, and then having this side, this sideline career as a mother, you know, yeah. um, but, but partying full time and, and to hear, you know, just, some of the some of the things that she that she did the the whole rock star thing is um i really want to know who that was kind of but i think it was kid rock 
Uh, I don't know how she, if we're going to ask her how she feels about that statement after, but it, I mean, it, it put whatever face you want on it. Yeah, right? it doesn't matter. That's why, that's yeah. why I try to stay away from, from that kind of stuff. Cause it doesn't matter. Right. Like what matters is that Leslie got home and, and that, um, she was able to finally get some, some reality, you know, and, and it's funny how, how these these people will pop in our up in our lives when we're subconsciously thinking about changing our lives all of a sudden she ends up at this job where there's the manager there's a friend of bill w yeah the manager and and you know for me at that point in my drinking there was a desire and an understanding like there's something weird about me that i'm not able to quit when i say i'm gonna and i keep showing up drunk and I keep using drugs and going to jail and, and all these things. And all of a sudden there's these people in recovery in my life kind of fucking with me a little bit. And I'm not recognizing that they're fucking with me, but, but it, like the seeds being planted and, mm-hmm. and it's, there's some curiosity there. Like, what like, what, what the fuck, you know? And, and then all of a sudden one thing leads to another and the opportunity comes along that we need. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's, and that's an important part, you know, like she, she got the DUI, she was in uh, jail and she's, you know, calling her dad and she's just, she's serious. And, th- and that's the thing is like, when we say these things, like I, I want to stop this and I, and I need help. We're serious. Right. Yeah. Um, and then for whatever reason, we, we go back out and we continue drinking is because it's the only way we've ever known. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that is evidence, right? That this, this is, I'm not able to sufficiently stop on my own when it's clear to me that that needs to happen. Right. Um, even when I make a solemn vow, um, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and that to me is evidence. Yes. I'm a real alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't have a name for it then. Yeah. Right? I didn't know what to right. call it. I just knew that there was something wrong with me that I couldn't, I couldn't stop when I, when it was clear that I should. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and really like, that moment for her, you know, she, she began uh, a process of at least sort of coming to the conclusion that this might be a thing. Yeah. She might actually be a real alcoholic um, or she might be somebody that doesn't uh, do these things as a normal person would. Um, and, uh, and I can totally identify with yeah. that. That was something that, uh, that was a part of my story too. And a part of my journey is sort of having that light bulb moment where it's like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm broken a little bit in this, in this area. Um, and, uh, and you know, it's okay. It's okay. doesn't mean that it's uh, always when we sober up, but it's, it's, it's a pivotal moment nonetheless. Um, and, uh, yeah, her story was great. And I I love how much, uh, emotion she has when she, when she talks about, you know, hiding, hiding it for so long. And then finally coming through and being like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm ready for something else. And then finding the community that she found through, through the women in the program that she's in, being able to identify with her and, and help carry her along. You know, one of the things that she talks about that I really, really appreciate is her sponsor saying, you don't have to believe in God. Just believe that I believe and that will right. be enough for now. And I thought, fucking, that was just so, so great, you know? 
Just believe, because I have a hard time believing right. that anybody believes that shit. I'm like, yeah. fuck, nobody fucking believes. I was waiting for that to come just, in. Just, yeah. like, just like, nobody's fucking, nobody can stay sober for 10 years. <laughs> You're a liar. <laughs> fuck it, you know, but but those little things help us, man. And, and, and it gets us to the point where, like she's talking about, you know, her living amends is to be there uh, for her daughter and, and show up and keep those promises and not be that that woman that she was when the alcohol was running her life. Yeah. And she does. Yeah. She shows up today. She, you know, she does the, the, uh, the athletic parent role, which I uh, can imagine is not always easy, but, um, but she does it today and yeah. she, and she takes care of herself the way that she knows she needs to, so she can show up for, for her daughter and for everybody in yeah, her life. Um, and, uh, super great. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Um, that was beautiful. Um, but yeah, well, yeah, so you are definitely a real alcoholic. If you be alcoholic, like I be alcoholic, yeah. <laughs> it's a good Very show, beautiful. man. Yeah. Thank you. This is a fun topic. Thank you. So, it's been fun. Yep. It's been real. It's been real fun. So it's been real fun. Jordan. Jordan. Thank you. Rylan. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Rylan. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. Cameron. Let's get out of here. Yep. Remember, guys, you are worth the work. We'll see you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.